drive-by cinema. Three nachos and a foaming thermos of fun. And hello and welcome to Season 2, Episode 51 of Drive-By Cinema, the podcast where we watch the movies so you don't have to, with my co-host Paul. Hi! And me, Rick. Richard. We started a podcast in lockdown. Then have failed to finish it, yeah. <laughs> what did we review last week, Paul? Oh, God. Why, <laughs> why are you doing this to me? Why should I test you? You certainly don't listen to the podcast, even though you edited that Give one. me a clue. Give me a clue. Steve Carroll and... Oh, Kira Knightley. Knightley. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and it was... Vaguely end of the world. It was. It's the end of the world. A a friend friend for the end of the world. End of the world. Thank you. Obviously, no major errors to report, so we can move on from that. Let's pay. Tell you something. I did this week. You went to Korean barbecue. I did finally go to a Korean barbecue. Yes, and I showed you my meat sizzling. You did on the pan. Sizzling on the on the grill. It was good. It was interesting. Did they ever come and wash down the grill with water? No, they did not. They squirted some cooking oil on the grill. Did you get unlimited side dishes of kimchi? No, we didn't get unlimited. Ah, it's supposed to be Korean Korean, Korean Uh, restaurants. Authentic ones. So, I'll tell you what I did this week. Uh, I went to the real, in in real life, Skeptics in a pub... Oh, wow. And I saw a very interesting talk by a gentleman called Keith Carn Harris, and I bought his book. I think I might lend it to you after I've read it, because I'm sure you'd find it interesting. What's it all about, then? It's about language, Paul. Ah. And a subject I know you're interested in. Very, and yeah. He was looking at what you might call a modern-day Rosetta Stone. Wow. An object that kind of hides under everybody's nose... And could, in the future, you might argue, act as a kind of Rosetta Stone for future philologists to decipher ancient lost languages from our era. And you potentially, potentially, once you're lining up with the sun inside a pyramid, could do wonderful things too. But anyway, sorry. Or that's a different are movie. You, sorry. Are you talking about the... <laughs> are you talking about the Georgia Guidestones, which were recently no, blown about- up? Talking about uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Doesn't oh, he do something like that? Uh, well, he finds a little gemstone, doesn't he? He puts oh, it on a staff of a biblical length, and he slots it into a thing, and the sun shines down and on on a on a map that the ancients had built, like a model village, and tells him where to dig. Anyway, Rich, you were saying modern day Rosetta Stone. Do elaborate, because I'm not quite there sketching the picture in my mind at this moment. Picture this, Paul. You go into a convenience store and you buy a delicious Kinder Egg. Yeah. And you find in the foil wrapper, you find the delicious chocolate, which you peel away and eat. And inside there is a yellow plastic capsule. Yeah. Don't you know swallow why it's it. Yellow? You know why it's yellow? No. It's like the egg yolk, isn't it? It is, but hard plastic. But hard plastic. You squeeze it and you open it, and inside there is a toy. Usually a plastic toy. Yes. Which which you assemble. Assemble, yeah. There's some level of educational... Material. Mock educational benefit there, yeah. yeah. Oh, right, yeah. There's actually usually a little cartoon which explains how you assemble it. That's right, yeah. They're quite good fun. And... With that little piece of paper is another piece of paper. A white piece of paper with densely typed script on both sides. And that is a warning that's found in every Kinder Egg telling you exactly what you told me the instant I mentioned it. Yeah. It tells you, warning, don't swallow or inhale these small parts not suitable for children under three. That's right, yeah. But it does so in approximately 30-odd, 35, 37 languages. Wow. Yeah. What this guy had done, rather than, like we have, set up a podcast over lockdown, what Keith Cohn-Harris had done is he had 
investigated all the different languages that are on <laughs> the Kinder Egg warning. Well done, Keith. It's interesting which languages they've chosen and which they've chosen to leave out. Mm-hmm. And he also filled in the gaps. He also did all of the other languages that he could he could find. Wow. So his book contains complete sort of, um, you know, linguistic thing, translation of that warning. He would be the first to point out, I'm sure, that it's not really a Rosetta Stone because the messages are not always the same and they, they're sort uh-huh. of culturally sensitive. So different languages have different uh, have different messages in them in detail. They're different. Wow. But, you know, which languages have been chosen is extremely political. But, you know, all over the globe, there are places where dialects might think of themselves as languages, but may or may not rise to that level for the Kinder Egg people. Made by Ferrero, by the way, Kinder Egg. Did you know that? I did, yeah. Yeah. Oh, the people who make the uh, Ferrero Rocher. Same people. They don't make Tic Tacs, though, do they? Tic Tacs? What, the yeah. small plastic minty things? Yeah. Not plastic. Hard, hard candy minty things. Normally associated with breath fresheners, aren't they? Oh, they are, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Why do you bring Tic Tacs up, Paul? A similar kind of toy nature, you know, as a kid. The Tic Tac box was actually more enjoyable than the Tic Tacs. <laughs> yeah, well, you have to use your imagination with the Tic Tac box, don't you? What do you do with yours? Keep little things in it. <laughs> Well, like tiny mints, for example. Well, yes, but after you've eaten the mints, you could put other things in too. Such as, did you ever put living insects a in terrarium? Like a yeah, a terrarium. You know, little little insect house. Did you leave the door open so they could come in? Yeah, or out? obviously, it wasn't going to kill oh, them. Oh, no, obviously not. No, why would you do that? You're not a monster. <laughs> you just wanted to observe them. When they were in their little glass glass house, didn't you? The McDonald's trial has been shown to be false. Anyway, go on, carry on. <laughs> the McDonald's triangle, is that is that the place that's got a KFC, a McDonald's and a Burger King uh, in town? I don't know. How do you spell McDonald's? M-C-D-E-I-E-I-O. I don't know, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> No, the well, the, the McDonald's. Here we're talking about the Dark Triangle, but there's also Dark McDonald's. Triangle. I've got this wrong. Uh, the there's a movie we should watch if there is one. The McDonald's <laughs> indicator for you know early psychopathy. Is it early 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 detection of potential psychopathy, bedwetting, uh, torturing animals, and something else. So it's I think it's a triangle. It's seen as a triangle, but it's not the dark. It's not the typical Dark Triangle we think of. In, in psychology. It's another triangle. Okay, music time. Music, maestro. Now, you said, Paul, yes. this was one of the worst movies ever, according to the reviews. It was billed as one of the worst movies ever. Okay. I got in trouble for not putting Bill before these kind of things. Uh, given Partygate, yeah. Well, <laughs> not not in this, not not in this circumstance. But uh, no. so no. yeah, I mean, during Partygate, you know, uh, one of my friends was deeply embroiled in it, and uh, I was there, what? What? Hold on. Yeah. One of your friends was deeply embroiled in Partygate. Yeah, it was a civil servant who was alleged to be partying at number ten. Good grief, Paul! You're right in the centre of of a sort of, you know, national political incident. Well, they're not a civil servant anymore after all that. So, so no longer do I get, you know, my ear to the uh, ear to the grapevine. Yeah. So, and uh, so I talked to another friend. I said, well, I can't believe all this Partygate stuff is newsworthy. And what I meant was deemed newsworthy. Yeah. Right. I, okay. I didn't say I can't believe it. I said, you know, Partygate is no longer newsworthy, by which I mean deemed worthy People of the don't, news yeah. by yeah. the newspapers. Not that it's worthy or not to be in the news. It obviously is. Okay. I've got sure. a big argument about that. Of course it's worthy. Why? Anyway. So, yeah. So, deemed. Deemed whatever. What were we saying? Well, we're talking about whether this is the worst movie ever, but... Is it deemed the worst? Just... It is deemed the worst movie ever. 
I'm far more interested to hear about your friend who was apparently a civil servant. No longer. Were they in the parties? Yeah, I mean, they were a high-up civil servant, you know, working at number 10, and had parties, presumably, allegedly. Well, actually, police say they did so. No need to put that afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> well, people were fined. Was your friend fined? Fined and fired, I think, yeah. Fired? Wow. Yeah, by the guy who was having the parties. Or <laughs> 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 so it may seem. Boris Johnson himself hasn't even left office, has he? In fact, he's now saying he wants to come back and lead the party in the next election. Oh, well, uh, well, I should that's... be clear: lead the Conservative Party in the next election, not just not the party, lead the party. party yeah. <laughs> like a Congo through the. Through the, the well, that would be no different stuff. to what he's been doing. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, so I mean, I think the Trumpian comparisons are a little stretched, aren't they? I mean, I don't think he's he's not going to try to end our democracy to stay in power. But at the same time, I mean, politics is comeback, comeback city, isn't it? But at the same time, it's a little, it's a little rasher to suggest that he would be, ever be welcomed back again, isn't it? You know. Well, surely. He's seen as an electoral liability now, isn't he? The Daily Telegraph don't seem to think so. They they want him back. They've they want him back. A campaign. Uh, yeah. There's a campaign, a petition, signed by literally dozens of people to get Boris back. Anyway, Paul, we are digressing. We're back onto politics. Horribly. We should be talking Horribly. about... The wonderful film, Escape the Field, 2022. Which may or may not be the worst movie in the world, ever. I don't think we can stand that rather rather highfalutin description up, yeah. can we? It's not no. that bad. It's, it's, yeah, we, we've seen worse in this We've series. seen worse probably in the, in the last month, I imagine. <laughs> <laughs> my only thing, before we start reviewing it, my only thing is I just want somebody to make it all make sense. That's the only thing I'm going to say about this before we get into it. This is basically the debut of its director, Emerson Moore. Emerson Moore, who also co-wrote it. He also wrote it, yeah. And had a small cameo. He'd done a short film before this called It Lives Below. Wow. So this is his first full-length feature film. He did have a cameo as well, yeah, that's right. Was he the guy that looked like Quentin Tarantino a little bit? Yes, exactly, yeah. Was he supposed to like Quentin Tarantino? I, w- I wonder, yeah, that's an interesting question. This film, really, is the answer to the question. It, no, it's not the answer. It's an answer to the question. I really love escape rooms, but, you know, how could I put them in a film and somehow make them better? Yeah. And for Emerson Moore, the answer to that question is... Stop. The tricky part about an escape room is the room, isn't it? Yeah, it's very confining, very limited. Very confining, yes. Yeah. Don't get many good pan shots on it. <laughs> so what was his solution, Rich? What did he decide to do? His solution was to take it completely outside. Take it outside, yeah. In the biggest and most featureless cornfield <laughs> that CGI can generate. <laughs> so the great thing about this is, you know, uh, we can imagine that a giant three-mile square or three-square-mile cornfield is quite difficult to escape from. Yeah. In some respects, yes. But presumably Listen, if, you, if you walk in one direction, you've got to get to the edge of it at some point, aren't you? Well, yes, exactly. You, we'll come to that, shall we? Mm. Because what happens here is a girl wakes up in this cornfield. So we don't know how she's got there. She just Sam. wakes up. Sam is her name. That's right. And strangely, she's got a spider on her cheek. Yeah. Is that, is that a clue? Because it never comes up again, does it? No. But she seems to have a spider on her cheek. Um, she wakes up. It's a CGI spider, by the way. I don't know if you noticed that. The barely discernible CGI sprinkled throughout this movie. <laughs> she finds as she wakes that she's next to a revolver. Got a gun. And a single bullet, a single round for the revolver. Which, if you, she looks carefully at it, it does have a little symbol on it, a sort of diamond shape. And she's wearing blue hospital scrubs. I did wonder initially whether she was a patient, a nurse, or a doctor. But I think typically doctor. the patients don't wear blue, do they? Oh, is that right? Yeah, because you have to make sure the patients wear something different, otherwise they they could shuffle down the corridor holding their catheter next to the dialysis machine and run out the front, couldn't they? They were wearing blue. Well, what would be worse is they could go and consult on other patients. Couldn't they? <laughs> Has been known. Has been known to happen. Right. So she wakes up. And pretty soon, she's disturbed by Tyler, who's woken up, presumably, in 
the crop circle next to it. Okay. I'm going to say, arguably here, Tyler, played by the, the best actor in this film. But also slightly unrecognisable from the third guy, Ryan, who I think has a stronger beard. But they're both bearded. Well, like... no, Tyler has got a little kind of moustache. Oh, a moustache, yeah. He, he's wearing denim on denim. Ah, that's how you recognised him, denim on denim. Yeah, And they're hesitant when they meet her. It's like, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? I don't know. Well, I don't trust you. Trust me. Okay, I'll trust you. And it's kind of got over with fairly quickly. Is that right? Yeah. It's one of the examples of what I think is a continuing theme in this film of poor dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> I was not going to go there until the end, but yes. Obviously, Sam is suspicious of this person. Very suspicious, you know, kind of to the point of holding a gun at them. But at some point, Tyler says, if you were going to shoot me, you you'd have done already. it already. And I'm not sure... I'm not sure where that idea came from. <laughs> you meet a stranger, they're holding a gun. They're obviously wary about, about you. Your first thought is, oh, you didn't shoot me immediately, so I'm probably fine. It's not a license to kind of leap at them, is it, really? Because they probably will then pull the trigger, won't they? You know, if you startle them. Richard, can I just ask, did you think there were any jokes in the dialogue in this movie at all? Intentional jokes. Any intentional jokes. Takes itself quite seriously. Really seriously. To the extent that, you know, very mundane dialogue will take up minutes and minutes of our time. Paul, if you've ever done an escape room, have you done an escape room? Yeah. Oh, you have? Yeah. Tell me about your escape room experience. Most recent. Most recent? You've done several. Yeah. You're, You're like a veteran of escape rooms. I lived in corporate team building hell for about seven years, Richard. <laughs> we could choose. Normally we could choose, you know, we could choose. Uh, and it was a multicultural staff, so it didn't always go the way. Uh, me, I always went for Japanese, the Japanese sort of buffet where this chef, the chef sort of does this stuff on the steel plate in front of you with flaming, flaming ice cream and bananas often at the end. Like teppanyaki. Is it teppanyaki? Uh, and there's lots of drink or you can sake, you know. That was is it? Is it one of those long. things where the chef does crazy things with eggs and he flips yeah, them up in his spatula, yeah. catches them in his yeah. hat? Uh, usually it's forty dollars all in and just stuff your face. Uh, and does and does was... he do that thing where he fries a load of potato scallops and then he flicks them into your mouth? No, right. no, 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 no. Just uh, oh, we should we should just go a to one of those, banana and ice cream. Ah, right. There's one of these in Manchester we should go to one point. Definitely. I love them. Yeah. And so I voted for that often time. But given we were a multicultural staff, uh, some, culturally speaking, many people weren't up for drinking. Because that was often followed by debaucherous karaoke, you see. (laughs) And people just weren't up for being ruddy-faced and mooning to passers-by outside, you know, standing on a restaurant's tables. Sorry, I I didn't roll gracefully. And uh, I was in denial for 10 years about how old I was. And uh, so oftentimes it would be Escape Room, which was preferable to indoor Laser Quest. Indoor Laser Quest. I think Laser Quest is normally indoors, isn't it? Yes. But I always get the gun that's broken, seriously. Went three times and gun was broken every time. That sounds a little bit like just an excuse blaming... No, because when he mended it for the second game, I did really well. (laughs) He actually said the gun was broken, but three times. Go-karting, I approve of, but again, uh, not popular with... You often get the broken cart, don't you? And uh, no, oh, you're no. Too, you're too tall to be effective at go-kart, aren't you? you present I did okay, I did okay. Too much of a, the air resistance that you would present would give you a disadvantage against smaller, slighter opponents. So I didn't mind escape rooms, but unfortunately, you know, did it in a few countries, but oftentimes... They're not highly financed, and therefore maybe the air conditioning didn't extend to making (laughs) indoor in July or June a pleasant experience. But being in different cultural circumstances, does that make the puzzles much harder to do? Yeah, if they're in Chinese, definitely. (laughs) So how do you... I got to room four or five. So, room kind of, four, five. Wow, that's pretty. Because exciting. our boss said, "Oh, give them the difficult one." So there were three. Obviously, you can choose grades of difficulty of escape. So we got put on yeah. advanced, which actually is advanced. It's more like medium, isn't it? But yeah, a lot of it was the language barrier. Yeah, but was there also cultural things like you know Chinese 
historical things. No, the, no, there was no like poems or, or sayings. Okay, or, it was just instructions were in Chinese, kind of thing. Clues were in Chinese. There was one. Do you know, like we have crosswords? Yeah, there was one that was like a Chinese crossword where you like each character you've got to decompose into its radicals, kind of thing, and then use those as words. So. But apart from that, there wasn't really any lateral thinking that was ob- ob- obstructed. It was more about understanding what you had to do. You decompose the characters into their radicals, what the mm. little bits. Little bits, yeah. And make new words from that. I mean, the only bit of Chinese that I was ever, I've ever seen, I think, written down is like where symbols for tree. Yes, there's several of them. There are several of them, it means forest, kind of thing. Yeah, it's that, a pictogram. That kind of yeah. thing we mean. Interesting. Okay. But no, I didn't get out. I didn't get out. But I think we would have done if we'd given it for 15 or 20 minutes. When you're in an escape room team, Paul. Yeah. There's no time for humour. Everyone has to be focused on the job, don't they? You can't be mucking around and having a joke, having a lark. There is time for big sulks and that kind of thing, though. We got none of that in this movie, did we? People yeah. can sulk. People can argue. There's plenty of arguing in the movie, isn't there? There was lots of argument. But there's no sort of... Go away, sulk, and think about things. True. We didn't really see anybody reach inside themselves. And also, this wasn't just an escape room, was it? This was an escape field where their lives depended on getting out. So we, we would expect some sort of emotional development. But, you know, th- this is the thing, isn't it? We've seen this in other escape room movies. Certainly the other one that we've, re- we've reviewed, Escape Room. They have to raise the stakes, don't they? Because fundamentally, a film about a team of people on a corporate team building exercise wouldn't be very exciting but, uh, necessarily you know I'm sure if League of Gentlemen people did it it would be very funny but in general this, if the stakes are too low like an ordinary escape room it's not that exciting so they have to artificially turn it up don't they and it doesn't really necessarily always work too well here's a thing about escape rooms escape rooms are a little bit like your dreams. They seem very entertaining when you're doing them. Yeah. But nobody else wants to hear about them, do they? For any number of reasons. But... Yeah, it's like your gap year, you know. Your gap year probably... <laughs> you, you probably did grow in your gap year. You probably did, actually. I, I don't like those people who mock the middle class for going on gap years. Uh, you probably did grow in your gap year, but nobody cares about how you grew. Nobody wants to hear it. Yeah. Even though it's true, you know. <laughs> and even those peasants that you took photos with... <laughs> Uh, were really, really cute, you know, and delightful. Uh, nobody wants to know about that. No one shares that opinion with you. Yeah. This is the thing, I think, unfortunately, people who are very keen on escape rooms maybe make this mistake of thinking that they can make some uh, grand narrative film or story about it, whereas really, they can't really do that. The thing is, I, there, I think there are three options to make an escape movie, escape room movie good. One is to have really, really good clues and really good lateral thinking that make you think, wow, okay, that's been ornately designed as an escape room. Yeah. Oh, you mean so to engage the audience in the puzzle? In the puzzle, yeah. And I think we watched a Spanish film. Oh, there's a thing. That's a thing, isn't it? Imagine imagine actually having puzzles that the audience could engage with. Can understand, yeah. Yeah. But but we watched a Spanish film, wasn't it? You know, was it Einstein's something or another? There were six scientists locked in. Yes. I can't remember. I don't remember the, the name, no. And that tried to do that. We actually, you know, we actually got involved in the puzzle solving, didn't we? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Or you could if you wanted to. And, and that's one way down. Two is emotional revelation, you know. How do people develop when they face the problems, you know? Are they set in silhouettes? Are they contrasted in the ways that they face face difficulties? And, you know, is how they overcome the escape room or not overcoming it finally related to you know who they fundamentally are in terms of character and three there's probably another way to do it which is to make it really exciting you know pump it full of cgi and money and just make it make it a pyrotechnic wonder that was sort of how the escape room movie that we saw did yeah and that kind of worked i thought and they made the whole escape room thing sort of squid game style they made it like a grand contest didn't they they made yeah Yeah. they made those guys the the evil protagonists, as it, or antagonists, as it were. And four, a bit out on the limb here, but the Squid Game, I guess you might say, has you know associations with 
with escape roomism. Yeah, absolutely. Is to, yeah. to make it genuinely psychologically thrilling. Yeah, uh, escape room made it more like a horror, didn't it? I yeah. suppose. Yeah. Uh, Squid Game was more thriller. On the other hand, <laughs> <laughs> what were they going for in this one, Rich? What were they going for? Do you think it tries to make sort of a psychological horror? Yes, it? Yeah. it tries to. Hence the deadpan dialogue, I guess. Certainly no jokes. We wouldn't expect jokes, Paul, because they're busy doing a puzzle. <laughs> each team member arrives. I think there's six yes. of them. They each have can I, uh, special... Oh, I've written it down, so can I tell you how oh. they arrive? Okay, we've had I hope Sam you've and got Tyler. the objects. I, I have. Got the objects I had to watch it twice to get the objects. Okay, Sam and Tyler are, you know, like our main couple. Yeah, and Sam's the doctor, female doctor, with the gun. Tyler's got his matches, doesn't know why. Okay, Then Ryan kind of turns up. Ryan's, I'm assuming, is ex-military, would that be fair to say? Oh, definitely ex-military. Yeah, and he comes with an old-fashioned paraffin lamp, which either does or doesn't have paraffin. I'm not sure at which point it gets turned on, but it does at some point. So he comes with a paraffin lamp and a beard, although I'm, I think the beard was his originally. Then we get Ethan. A schoolboy. A schoolboy. In his school uniform, it must be a prep school for it to be an American. He has a uniform in, the, in, the, in America. And he comes with a compass. Uh, and a compass. Denise... Uh, who is, you know, sort of like a 20-something uh, American Asian. She comes with some sort of knife. Knife. It's like a hunting knife. A hunting knife, yeah, precisely. Okay. Or a Bowie knife. Uh, and there's a sixth one who doesn't arrive. We meet later, and she's a bricked, uh, and she's a coder, and she's just split up with her girlfriend, who's also a lesbian, and she's a lesbian too. And her name, I presume, is Cameron. Did I get that right? Cameron, that's right, yeah. Okay. And initially... She claims she doesn't have an Don't object. have nothing, yeah. But, in dun, actual dun, fact, dun. she has a hip flask containing water. Containing water, okay. And uh, at the beginning, uh, Denise says she's really thirsty, so we know that everybody's thirsty. That's another example, isn't it, of the poor dialogue is, you know, he has to get the characters to say, oh, I'm really thirsty. <laughs> Denise basically says, I'm really thirsty. <laughs> no, no, she does say, I'm really thirsty. Okay, <laughs> Uh, and they also say, hey, let's stay together because we'll be strong as a group. Okay. You know, it takes 15 minutes for the 15 minutes for them to greet and meet each other before they've met the Brits, Cameron, and for this first siren woo, to go off in the air and for them to meet the first thingy, which is kind of like a miniature version of a robotic wicker man, which they call a scarecrow. A scarecrow, a creepy, a creepy mannequin. And one of them says... Have you ever seen anything like this? <laughs> another terrible bit of dialogue. I mean, yeah, it's a little bit like a mannequin, and it's a little bit like a scarecrow. <laughs> and a musical score would have sufficed for that tension, wouldn't it? So, yeah, so so that's it, yeah? We're 15 minutes in, and they meet Cameron, and, whoa, they're immediately like, who is she? She must have put us up to all of this. And they don't trust her. And they don't then- trust her because she doesn't have an object. By the way... All of these things well they've been yeah. given, all of these things they've been given have got this same symbol on it, this little diamond symbol. So they recognise that, therefore, it must be deeply, deeply significant. Significant. Yeah. Anyway, we cut to nightfall. They've set up camp. They've made a fire. Yeah. They've made a fire, somewhat sensibly, I think, or maybe stupidly, given their situations. And the suspicions are rife. Okay, who's been doing this? Is this a CIA? Is Who this brought the them here? Yes. And they're looking at each other, and I'm thinking, wow, suspicion often in these kind of movies potentially leads to cannibalism. I was hoping we'd go down cannibalist roads, but we didn't. Plot spoiler. Denise is explaining her attire, because she's dressed in a negligee, although she's got a jacket <laughs> over the top of it. And apparently just she was up. just... <laughs> no, she, she was waiting She was waiting for her fiancé to come dun, to bed. Dun, dun. Okay, so and we get some torturous sleep. Like informational backstories there, and then all of a sudden, Quentin Tarantino appears in a very dishevelled, well, not but somebody who looks like Quentin Tarantino appears in a very more, the director dishevelled manner at the corner of the cornfield. Saying, He's credited one, as the businessman. Ah, uh, saying one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, five. They are the same. So he's saying numbers that are the same, and then he gets got. He gets dragged, you know, into the cornfield by whatever's got him. Oh, he's just observed that there are six of them. Like, oh. presumably, the group he's from. 
See, we we figure out that there's multiple of these groups. Sirens are indicative here of something as it later unfolds, if you were paying attention, which I wasn't, which is why I watched it twice. So he gets got, and they all chase along Stupid into separate sort of paths of the cornfield to find him. He gets got by something we don't really see. We don't. It's just so quick. He just gets whipped away by CGI. It's faster, faster than the eye can see. Do you know? Do you know those uh, Nigerian kind of spirit dances they do, where the man like puts a big bush on his head and spins I mean, around and looks like a big tree kind of thing, a yeah, whirling yeah. tree. Yes. We imagine it's something like that. <laughs> spirit world. Right. Okay. So in the in the ensuing melee, panic. Denise panics, runs away, falls down. And Brittany Cameron doesn't stop to help, bitch. There's gunshot in the air, and then Brittany gets stabbed by Denise, but not on purpose. No, she falls over a fence, doesn't she? And she winds um, up with a bit of the wooden fence. Oh, it's not the knife. Through her. No, it's not. Sorry. Okay, it wasn't particularly well lit that scene in my in my defence. And as you say, Cameron runs runs away and doesn't help Denise. Um, but then later she regrets arguing with her girlfriend. I don't know why. That came up at that point, but there we are. That, just underscoring, perhaps, that she's she's a lesbian. I don't know why. That's so that. important. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> then Ethan says, the schoolboy says, I'm really missing home. Sam the doctor comforts him. And during this time has an insight that his compass that he's carrying is somehow the first clue they have to follow. And guess what? She's right. She chooses the one out of six tools that is the right one to choose. Hold on, there's some more bad dialogue here that you're overlooking. When they, they're all meeting up again and they find Denise, uh, one of them says, she's hurt. And Ryan says, well, I'm not surprised. <laughs> <laughs> Why is he expecting Denise to be hurt? So Sam does surgery on, on Brittany Cameron. Yeah. And then Sam says, hey, we need water. And they go to find water and they get to a fence. E- Ethan's, Ethan's fence really upset, isn't he? He's, he's only this compass. He's really upset because his mum died two years ago. And his dad doesn't really care. He just leaves him to rot at this boarding school. Ah. And Sam cheers him up with another great bit of dialogue, great bit of writing. She goes, here, you know, see that needle? It's going to lead us out of here. <laughs> so that's, that's what you think, is, isn't it, when you look at a compass? <laughs> Thank goodness so, for the needle. <laughs> so, so they're looking for water. And then they discover Cameron has got a hip flask and she's been drinking from it. She's been holding out on them, yeah. And then something ensues. And whilst they're arguing, Denise, who was the girl that ran away the first time, gets got. And it's bye-bye, Denise. She gets got, doesn't she? She does, yeah. In a very similar, instantaneously whipped away moment. And the sirens are going off just before it happens. So I think we're supposed to connect the sirens with disappearances, aren't we? Or something like that. Sam finds Denise's bloody jacket. You're right. And then Ethan's compass starts spinning crazy. Wibbly wobbly, yeah. It spins all around. They find a scarecrow again. I don't know whether it's the same scarecrow. Well, they do go around in circles at one point, but I think it's a different scarecrow or a redressed first scarecrow. Redressed first scarecrow or a second scarecrow. Yeah, I think I'm going for second square. They point out something significant about its clothing and a, a sort of patch, a square on its checked shirt clothing. And they notice that the compass, as it goes right by the scarecrow, just starts spinning like crazily. So they realise the compass is actually not a compass. Well, it is. It's more a compass for the scarecrow. Because what happens is they, they sort of find or trip over a standpipe. And Sam figures out that she can open the valve with, the with a notch in the back of the compass. And so she undoes it and they all drink, giggling, as you do when you find water. They realise at that point that the compass was pointing to the faucet, as Americans call taps. Yes, or spigot. No, they call them faucets, Paul. And spigot. Do they? Yeah. By the power of Wiktionary, yes, they do. And not a standpipe, then. Standpipe will do too. So Americans use standpipes. They're not fussy now. Do you remember in in the 1970s, the last time we had a heat wave and all the reservoirs dried up? Do you remember they used to have a... In our street, they used to have We a did stand have standpipes, yeah. In the yeah. street, and you had to go out and get some water for the And house. do you remember in winter when the pipes froze over, all the sewage would back up onto the street? And I used that to skate happen. on it. No. I used to skate on it. <laughs> <laughs> 
filthy. Uh. Oh dear. It didn't smell because it was frozen, but it did smell once it melted. <laughs> There's toilet paper in it, yeah, frozen toilet paper. <laughs> it's like a Christmas card scene. <laughs> yeah, and, and for some reason they notice a tree on the bottle on the hip flask. And then well, Sam this is the next clue, insight. isn't it? Yeah. We're following the escape room here. Yeah, so Sam notices the flask. As you say, it has a tree on it. And the Does tree... it magically appear after they drink the water? Or was the tree always there? The tree was always there. So why did she decide to, we need to go to the tree now as opposed to before the first clue or after the second clue? How did she get the clues in the right order here? Listen, I think one thing we haven't properly expressed about this film is the extraordinary monotony of it as a visual <laughs> as a visual piece. But like you say, it's cheap to do it in a cornfield. It could have been in a room, you know, with four blank walls. But this is my point. This is my point, you see. When we do, when you do an escape room, you kind of have to be able to follow the map of their minds, yeah? And yes. when it's a disorientating cornfield, you know, when they're walking to fences or they're walking along clearings, it makes no narrative or puzzle cognitive sense, does it? Well, no, particularly because at the start, they're very keen on the compass and following the compass. Yeah. They have lots of arguments about... And they stop following it, don't they? Well, they no, listen, they have lots of arguments about following the compass, where the compass is going and how important the compass is and they'll get out. And, you know, take heart because we'll follow the needle and we'll get out. It's in a fucking cornfield and it's got, like, plough lines in it. <laughs> you could it's just follow the lines, couldn't you? And get to a fence, follow the fence line. You're going to be able to find your way out without the compass. You would think. Anyway, the compass doesn't help you if you don't know where you are, really, does does it? If you don't know well, my point is about Sam Sam's insight is her first insight was like, Oh, we've got to we've got to follow the compass. Why didn't she say, Oh, we've got to find the tree is the first one? Why did you get the clues right in the right order? Because as it turns out, you have to follow these things sequentially, don't you? I suppose so. Yeah, you do. You have to follow them sequentially. They're like revealed bit by bit, yeah. So I just have a real problem with the fact that the actual escape room itself wasn't meaningful, even when it was revealed. It's nonsensical and impossible, right? I mean, how would you even arrange this? <laughs> you do get something you couldn't do in a normal room. You do get yeah. these wide shots quite often. You know, like at the start of the film, you get this top-down shot showing Sam lying on the ground in this circular clearing in this cornfield, this vast cornfield. And then you get these sort of crane shots lifting them over the corn yeah. so you can see some distance around. It's just a fucking well, cornfield. Just a cornfield. <laughs> I think a CGI cornfield for the most part. Uh, and then the only thing visible in this cornfield is this tree on one or two shots, which yeah. they figure out that they go to. But for the most part, the fact that they're outside makes no difference because all you see is boring corn... Cornstalk after cornstalk. Corn walls, yeah, okay. So they've drunk, they've drunk the drink, they've found the tree on the bottle, and they've related the tree to the odd square on the, on the patchwork of the dummy's shirt. And they said, ah, the tree... Not yet, no, no, because they... Oh. First they find the map on the tree. So they go to the tree, and they can't oh, see anything about the tree. And then one of them, I think Ethan, I think, maybe peels the How did the they bark. find the tree with the fucking compass? No, you can see it, can't you? Because it's oh, tall. you can see it, right? The compass points to the, the faucet, Paul, as we've established. I don't know how they arrange that. The compass always points to the faucet. That's why it was spinning when they found. We've missed it. a little bit here. Okay. Oh, did some we? critical bits. Ryan, oh. ex-army man, has some magical serum that he injects himself with. He's maybe oh, smuggled. That's right. Or his captors haven't discovered on his on his the, person. No, no, no. The scarecrow fires it at him. Oh. A, 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 the mouth of the scarecrow opens. And a dart shoots out and injects Ryan as he's walking away. He figures out this has happened because it's a, a syringe sticking into his ass. Uh, oh, and he later so shows it to Sam, doesn't he? But it, it turns him crazy, doesn't it? it First of all, Sam is almost about to fall down a bear pit. And Ryan, imbued with extra sensory perception, grabs her and makes a levitate kind of thing. You know, he's holding her. I don't know why you call it a bear pit, Paul. Why do you call it a bear pit? A bear trap. Bear trap. No, it's a pit with stakes pit. driven into the base of the pit, and I think it. I think those stakes are called punji sticks because the Viet Cong used them, didn't they? Stank, they did yes. against yeah. the, the, the successfully the U.S. Army. And then, nearly a moment later, Brittany Cameron goes off on one, and he grabs her by the throat and holds her up with superhuman strength. superhuman strength until he lets go. Apparently, this syringe has given him. 
this superhuman strength. Which again, it's a feature you don't often see in your average escape room. Isn't no. It? no, very rarely do they inject one of the <laughs> contestants <laughs> with testosterone and let them roid rage at their. Comp- but it's a good idea. Now, now I'm and then with it. stunning dialogue after this happened, he says to Sam, "Sam, hey, I got to show you something," and he shows him shows her the needle. Okay, there we go. Yeah. Then we get to the tree and the bark and the map. Now this. I'm just, I mean, I just couldn't with this one. I just, I, I threw, you know, I threw my tablet down and just, uh, just, so Ethan peels, he peels the bark off to reveal, to reveal a very faint, if you ask me, it was very difficult to see on my screen anyway, a sort of grid shaped pattern of the crops, yeah, of the crop lines or whatever, yeah, under the bark on the, on the bare sort of wood that I can get. Then and they then, see a weird shape on a pole that matches or post. tessellates like those... You know when you were a kid and you had to hammer the shapes through the holes kind of thing? Okay, the toys. This is the level <laughs> of escape room rat. They say, well, it's the same shape as the bottom of the paraffin. They put the paraffin... The lantern. Yeah. Sorry, not the paraffin, the paraffin lamp. They put the paraffin lamp, tessellate it with the shape, and it throws shadows that reveal the map? That's right. What does it yeah. do? That's ridiculous. No, it, exactly. Somehow. No, but wait a minute. Light. It doesn't. They turn the glass until it does show meaningful yeah, that, shadow. That's the pointless thing. What the that's fuck? Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. The, so, it was supposed to be engaged on top of the fence post, so it points in the right direction. But as you say, it's then rendered pointless by the fact that they twiddle it around. But and apparently, <laughs> this 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 shadow of a line. Tells them the way out or the way on. Who knows? I don't know what it means. Right. Okay. And, and they, they think they can match it with the grid pattern, which they think is the grid pattern of the cornfield. And again, if the cornfield's in a grid pattern, navigation isn't really your problem, is it? Sort well, of? I mean, stupid rotatable glass guards on paraffin lamps aside, you know, I can accept all these clues and all these solutions. Given, you know, the tenuousness, tenuity or whatever you call it, so far. Towards the end, however, once they get inside the container vessel... Spoiler alert! I'm just, I'm just not with this movie whatsoever. So, so far, I'm, I'm accepting it. I'm not liking it, but I can accept. You know, there are clues, and they've got the clues. If they found the tree during the day, the lantern wouldn't have worked, would it? Because it wouldn't have been able to cast a shadow. You're right. On the yeah. tree. <laughs> See here, fence line. They say on the on the map. Yes, obviously, <laughs> you passed the fence a dozen times. <laughs> Now, it, they, they wander ahead and it's time for people to go bye 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 It's either Ryan or Tyler, and I'm not sure if it was somebody with facial hair that was got pulled, first of all. And Tyler then, is, Tyler's grabbed and he's dragged Tyler's away. Tyler's grabbed, okay. Tyler's grabbed. Okay. Ryan uh, rescues him. But, but Tyler Ethan is the then grabbed. Tyler is stabbed. Ethan gets got. Yeah. Oh, he's stabbed by Cameron, by Bad Britty. Okay, Bad Britty, in the confusion, stabs Ethan, deeply regrets it. That's right. That's later on. Because Cameron, because what happens is, uh, and this is again, in my, to my mind, bad writing. <laughs> Cameron runs away. She wears glasses. She trips over in the dark and loses her glasses. Thelma. And it's while she is, she can't see properly because she, her glasses are lost. Which is, you know, straight up Scooby Doo. Oh, she mistakes it? Tyler for an assailant. No, not Tyler. Ethan, the boy. Ethan. Ethan, the boy. Okay, she turns around, so, and stabs him with the with the knife. Because obviously, the first thing you do when you lose your glasses is you go around with your knife out in front of you. Don't you? <laughs> so we have a situation now. Then where... she finds her glasses. By the way, oh. <laughs> so we have a situation where Ethan is gone. Okay, Bad Britty Cameron is separated from the group, and Ryan is away from the groups and never yeah. comes back. No, no, he doesn't come back. So, haha, no. So, oh, he does eventually. Yeah. yeah. Now we've done a bit of Scooby Doo losing your glasses. Now we do Apocalypse Now because Ryan goes <laughs> full on Colonel Kurt stuff, he doesn't does, he? Yeah, he, gets, he puts he gets, mud all over his face. He gets the non-ironic blackface on, yeah. Okay, <laughs> and uh, and yeah, and he's got really red eyes. I don't know what he's taken, but it, playing playing havoc with his facial beauty. And yeah, so I mean, like he doesn't really appear for a while, does he? So we're down no, to two people. Right. We're down. To, we're down to our hero and heroine, Sam. Sam and Tyler. and Tyler. Now the thing is, we haven't really mentioned this, but it's obvious that Sam and Tyler have got a thing for each other. Yeah, they flirt, don't they? The way they, they flirt bit, in this yeah. movie is they grin at one another, <laughs> like re- <laughs> really like creepily. A bad first day, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Despite the fact that they're sort of struggling to survive in the middle of a, a vast yeah. cornfield of man traps, the way that they, they get on together is they just grin like, as you say, like, like a first date. Sirens are going off. And presumably, does that mean that uh, Bad Britty has got got? I don't know. Presumably. Maybe. I don't think we ever see her again, do we? Oh, we do. We see her crying alone in, in the in the crops at some point. Anyway, so I think that Sam and Tyler make it to the crop, like a clearing in the crop circle. Well, they find uh, another right? scarecrow. They find another scarecrow and they realise that the check pattern on the shirt is another grid map. Another grid map, yeah. I don't know why that's important, because they already had a map, didn't they? But anyway, she also finds a compartment in the Scarecrow, which, by the way, oh. seems it seems to also wearing body armour, the Scarecrows. I don't know why they don't take it off and wear the stuff. They keep getting stabbed. But she opens this compartment, and there's a bunch of switches inside. Yeah. And there's like a little, there's like a little map that's actually a plastic cutout thing. Now, I I had real Proustian moments here. Do you remember when you uh, were a kid at the post office, you could buy maps of the tra- stencil maps of the world you could trace over? No. Oh, it's like a little cutout. A little piece of plastic with a, a The borders. In. No, the borders of the, were all cut out of the plastic. So you just trace right. around it and you've got an accurate map of all the countries of the world, you know, and their borders kind of thing. And also, do you remember oh. 70s programmable washing machines where you put, like, the cartridge in? Like a purple like cartridge. Like a card thing. No, it's like a beautiful, like, a, like, like, almost like a Fisher Price record. Do you remember Fisher Price records? <laughs> On your Fisher Price record yeah. player, yes, like I the do, yeah. highly coloured discs with grooves in. You could put one of these groovy little, like, square-edged plastic discs in your programmable washing machine. It would give you a different wash cycle. And they get a little right. map, a physical map that remind me of all those things. I was just like, oh wow, taking me back. Completely irrelevant, but there we go. So they've got another map which is like a little cut-out jigsaw. Here's the thing about the escape room concept as a movie. We're presented with this problem, or rather Sam is presented with this problem. There's a series of switches in the back of this mannequin, and there's a little card, and the card explains to her how to flick the switches. So the puzzle that we engage with is watching Sam, (laughs) in a matter of 30 seconds, just transcribe a series of switches. Yeah, but then she's like, the "Oh card. my god, it's not working. We need like to turn the switch." And does she realise that the knife is the sort of missing? No, that's sort later of relay on. Relay switch. Uh, oh. That's later on. No. A bit later on. But she does use the compass again oh, in god. the back of the mannequin to twist something again. Oh yeah, same... yeah, that's useful. The same clue. You can use it twice. Yeah, use it twice. Okay. Yeah. Perhaps it's a useful thing to remember about escape rooms is maybe that that clue or puzzle that you used in the previous room. You might still be able to use it again. It's not usually how escape rooms go. Oh, room two, just to say it was room one, everybody. Okay. Just what you did last time, a few minutes ago. Uh, room four as well. You know, just repeat what we did here. Room two, room four. You're going to be okay. Yeah. So, and really, you know, I mean, all... It was essentially just like a little, a little hole in the top of the compass that allowed it to act as like a mini screwdriver. Is that right? Exactly, yeah. Or a spanner, a mini spanner. But flicking these switches makes a load of CGI happen again. And the CGI in this case is moving bits of cornfield that makes a kind of maze. Is that what happened? I think so. It was not clear, was it? But it reveals like a stone kind of building or a concrete building that they go into. They get locked in immediately, kind of. They have to split up or something. Why do they have to split up? Because they have to look down two locations. I don't know. And then then a door comes down. A door comes down. Tyler falls into a pit. Pit of mud. But then it's okay because uh, Sam digs around near the base of the door and she finds a quick release button, which opens the door. Again, a puzzle we can't really assist in or contribute to. We just watch Sam. It isn't really a puzzle, is it? It's not really a puzzle. lateral thinking. She she runs over, she rescues Tyler from this hole and she finds a cord he was supposed to have pulled on to get himself out. And there's an, again another map on the end. I think it might even correspond with the other, the first map that they got. She slides it in. And now they've got an entire map to this maze. I was not following at this point. <laughs> they emerge into the uh, night and they find a container, a 20-foot equivalent unit container just dropped into the cornfield. So they go into this container and inside there's a machine and it's got a slot, like a round slot in it, which Sam realises the bullet fits in. Assuming she hasn't, like, fired it, I suppose. Then there's a slot on the other side of the machine, which needs the knife, which they don't have. 
because Denise had it, but then Cameron got it when Denise died. Oh, sorry, it's this machine that needs a knife, not the previous, not the previous, not the previous uh, scarecrow. I'm sorry. It was quite similar to the first machine inside the scarecrow's chest, though, wasn't it? Really, it wasn't much different. I think that's true. And Tyler seems to be dying because he's struggling with this stab wound that he's got, and she has to leave him. She resolves to go and get the knife. She runs back. And we see Ryan, meanwhile, still having his Colonel Kurtz moment and, you know, emerging from the swamp or whatever it is. It's in the middle of the night. There's a big fire burning. How does she find the knife? Well, she she comes to this clearing with the fire. She perhaps went towards the fire. And By chance, Ethan's, is what you're saying. Ethan's body is lying in the clearing. Almost like an offering, yeah. With a knife, the knife sticking out of it. Where so it by chance, okay. She approaches the knife. I think Ryan has come up and said hello to her at this point. She sees another body being cooked on a spit. <laughs> and at this point, a crazy guy shows up. And apparently Ethan was still alive, even though he was stabbed. And he shoots Ethan with a gun. And he's got two guns, apparently. She grabs the knife while Ryan jumps out and fights this crazy corn man. There's this big pile of lanterns. I think that's a clue to tell you that lots of groups of six... Have been through this challenge. Been through the same thing. That's it. Yeah. Does she manage to shoot the crazy guy? No. While Ryan and crazy guy are following. fighting, Ryan falls into a pit trap. And meanwhile, Sam's run away back to Tyler with the knife, who is lying there asleep, dying. He's awake enough to help her pull the dual levers to activate with the knife and the bullet in place. And the machine lights up, but then suddenly all the lights go out and a red light comes on. It seemed like the machine hasn't worked. And, you know, like the the whole experience hasn't ended or whatever. So was that planned in the escape room or was that just a failing of the machine as presented to us? Fuck knows. Because throughout this It doesn't matter, thing, does it? <laughs> we never really find out what the hell is going on, why they're here, what the motivations of the people behind it are. Perhaps it's all stacked up for the sequel, which, of yeah. course, we're all eagerly anticipating. Because we hear some walkie-talkie noise at the end, don't we? Escape the field uh, too. Escape the field too. But Sam's right. pissed off, as pissed off as we are, and she says, fuck the puzzle. And, and she, she piles up a load of dead corn stalks all around this machine and they set it on fire with the matches. Yeah. Crazy guy comes back and she sets fire to him too. Not before he stabbed her. In the fanny. She lights him on fire with the matches because he's covered in corn stalks himself as kind of, you know, camouflage, isn't he? He's and then she, you know. she pushes him in the container uh, and she falls down because she's been stabbed. And then guys show up in gas masks and as you say, we hear all this radio chatter. Extract the primary, extract the primary. So we, I assume, we're assuming it's some sort of weird organisation that's trying to find the prime su- successor to the, to the maze. And I think there's not supposed to be a way out. Did you notice it's all, it's all in English, the uh, radio chatter? Yeah, British English, okay. So she's seen as the prime, the prime asset or whatever, and they're extracting her for phase two, i.e. sequel. And then we zoom out. And we go overhead and we zoom, 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 zoom. And it turns out... It's a really big cornfield. But it's also in a city. Like You see the lights of a city. And it looked a bit like London because it had a river, but I can't... It did look like like the River Thames, yeah. But it couldn't be London because... Well, where would you put an enormous cornfield for an escape field in in London? (laughs) It doesn't make any sense. And then the credits roll. And of course, we get a mid credit scene, Paul, which I'm Uh-oh. sure... oh I didn't see it. <laughs> you watched this film twice, so yeah. you could note down all the names, but you didn't see the mid credit scene. Did not see the mid credit scene. Oh, well, imagine. We see Cameron, who we haven't seen for a while. She's stumbling through the cornfield, and she comes into a clearing. And now there's a new group of six people. And she goes, one, two, three, four, five. She looks shocked and then she's whipped away by the new crazy corn man, who is (laughs) Ryan. Ryan. He fell into the pit, but he didn't Ah. die. And the cycle begins again. So it's a very well-planned... Finnegan's Wake. Finnegan's Wake. Okay, so they were never meant to escape, you see. And they're always going to extract people when they come against the final brick wall. They serve their purpose. that final is to get one person towards the end. They're never going to escape, but they are extracted when they come across the brick wall of the machine not working. 
They become part of the escape room for the next group, don't they? That's how it works. As we know, as you've one done... One taken away, room, one left behind, four dead. Okay. Yep. You don't like all a... come out of the escape room, do you? Someone has to stay behind to Sounds reset Sounds like everything. a workable ecosystem. <laughs> wow. Significance. We don't know. Richard, it is it is time for scores, isn't it? And it's I mean, I'll tell you what, it's taken us an hour to get through that plot, and I'm not surprised because like it tries to go everywhere and tries to fill it with plot, but it's 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 a, it's a mash, isn't it? It's a mishmash of things that don't really make any sense. It's a little bit of everything, isn't it? It's Scooby Doo, it's Apocalypse Now, it's uh, escape puzzles rooms. that are not puzzles. Puzzles that don't connect for any reason. <laughs> Choosing the right puzzle to follow in, in, in the right sequence for no reason whatsoever. <sighs> How do you feel about the acting in this film? I would say the acting was maybe a stronger point in the movie. I oh, mean, really? Yeah, I thought Sam as the Doctor was relatively convincing. Uh, although, we never really saw wisdom from it, did we? You know, We just saw some sort of insight. Well, she solved all the puzzles, didn't she? She, she did, yeah. Nobody else fucking did. <laughs> no. Uh, I thought Bad Britney, Bad Cameron, I mean, she did what she had to do to, you know, to make an American audience dislike her. So... I don't think it was the actor's fault. I know. I'm, I'm just saying, I think she was supposed to present a, a, a view of a, a British person that American audiences would want to see as being treacherous and slightly villainous. And... And I think she, you know, she managed to do that quite well. Uh, most of these actors, I think, are TV actors. Uh, I, and I think the guy who played Tyler Theo Rossi was in Sons of Anarchy. I think the English girl, I think Tyra Sheriff, was in Casualty and stuff like that. Really, not too sure what Sam Jordan Claire Robbins was in, but I mean, they've all got sort of TV heritage. So, guy, yeah, I think, like, I think, like. You know her, her being the obvious villain, of the piece, and her identity. She's not the villain, though. She's she just, you know, less helpful. Well, she's not she's the mastermind, de- or is she? Maybe she is the mastermind. Is that what? Is that why there are English accents at the end? Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Ah, dang, dang, dang. But no, what I'm saying is like, you know, like in Kung Fu Panda, like the, the British peacock. You know, that slightly villainous, treacherous personality. I guess it comes after the American Revolution, tea parties, or whatever. Blah, 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 blah. I think tying that with lesbianism and her ethnicity is kind of like, is he playing on audiences or was that just convenient? I don't know. My God. You've really gone there, Paul. (laughs) I mean, it can't be coincidental, you know, that she has, you know, after all these these slight treacherous things, she just says, oh, by the way, I'm a lesbian kind of thing. (laughs) I see your point. Is he play- I think he's playing the audience on this. You know, I, I think it's going to appeal to slightly gun-toting mid- middle Americans, isn't it? So, oh yeah, I'm sure they love they love an escape room, don't they? Those, they're real thoughtful, <laughs> those kind of guys. Paul, give a score for the actors. Escape, for goodness sake. escape the capital. Uh, <laughs> so, no, I thought the acting was was perfunctory. Let's be honest, Ethan and Denise, the young boy and the American Asian, didn't really get much chance to be anything, did they? I'm gonna give it a five point five. Oh. I'll give it I'll give it a six, you know. I'm giving them the Whoa. benefit of the doubt. I think the script yeah. is bad. You know, this was They made one it of the... over the hill. They made it over the hill, they just don't have time to freewheel. You know? Apparently this is one of the first movies that they could put in, into production after COVID nineteen because yeah. because there was a small cast and it was all filmed in in this in a one, one well, in a studio, yeah, this one studio the cornfield location, then it, it eighteen could be... square foot of studio. <laughs> so let's talk about the plot then. Mm. <laughs> Horribly involved, rather like a twelve-year-old's essay. Uh, I, I remember when I was twelve years old, I used to write those essays where you know, you know, it starts off with a gun chase, and then he jumped onto uh, jumped onto a, a speedboat. And then, you know, was chased down, chased down some some steps and then hidden in the house. And, and it was just all over the place and never stopped and didn't really go anywhere apart from everywhere. And I just felt this was like that, you know, it was it it was going all places just to have a plot and less sometimes is more. And I just think more a more cogent and more coherent plot would have benefited it. So I'm going to have to score down the plot and say... You know the the reveals on the the reveals on the escape room moments were 
entirely unedifying. You know, the clues and the reveals were just pointless. So I'm going to have to go to 3.5. I wonder whether writers Emerson Moore, Sean Wade, and Joshua Dobkin, I wonder if their normal day job is that they work for an escape room. <laughs> or maybe design them. Oh, it's like Clark's, but for escape room, for escape room generation. It doesn't work as a film. No. They fundamentally misunderstood what's good about escape rooms and what's yeah. good about films comparatively. I'm going to give it a three for the plot. Wow. Okay, and I thought I was being harsh. Okay, I guess we have to go to action. And special effects. Yeah. The special effects are really ropey, aren't they? The, the CGI bits are quite obviously CGI. They stand out like a sore thumb. And... On the one hand, you can understand why they might have needed CGI. And it must have been much cheaper than going and trying to find a, the biggest cornfield in the world or whatever. But on the other hand, I mean, you could have gone to an actual field and filmed it, couldn't you? I mean, plenty of films do that. The suspense. I mean, with horror or fright movies, you know, when they're holed up, there's also vulnerability, that window or, you know, or that, that attic portal or those steps down to the cellar okay with a cornfield you're just constantly vulnerable aren't you and so what i got was suspense numbing is there wasn't any there was no crescendo to like oh my god they're at that part they're they're on the edge of the cornfield as opposed to in the clearing or like i think a strategy might have been if they set up little strings and bells in the cornfield to tinkle link if somebody was coming kind of thing and then maybe one of those snapped then we could have a moment where the security was threatened and, and, you know, we could have some sort of heightened cortisol and adrenal response to what was happening. As it was, they were constantly under threat and therefore it ceased to be suspenseful or thrilling. That for me was the biggest problem. Is it just, there, there, there were no cliff edges and there was no tenter hooks at any point. It was just people wading through a disaster, you know. And I'm with you on the CGI. It just it didn't work, did it? Okay, all we got was really tall. Corn. <laughs> that was it. Swayze of it. So for me, it's a five. It is a five for action, yeah. It, I mean, some of it is competent enough, you know. There's blood and guts and stuff like that going on in places, but mostly it's adequate. Final score. How about how about suspense and conundrums? What? Are we not doing the overall score? Are we doing suspense well, con- and conundrums? Yeah. Did it conundrum you? Well, you no, can the, un- the puzzles don't hit. There are no puzzles. They don't, no. You can't puzzle with them. And you don't care, really, either. It doesn't matter, does it? I mean, the fundamental problem is escaping a field is quite straightforward, isn't it? There's no door. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For me, it was like, you know when you go to Ikea? And yes. like, the kettles are real and the cooker's real, <laughs> but the, the books are just empty. Yeah. So for me, it was... Dummy puzzles for shop dummy characters, you know. I mean, it meant out, it made out that there were puzzles, but they weren't puzzles. It was just fakery, you know. It was just like, it was like, it was like turning up at a film set and realizing, oh, it's just a film set, you know. And so this for me was the biggest detractor. I'm going to have to score it a four. I will also give it a four here. Mm. Overall, Paul. This is not well, the I, I, worst movie in the world. It is not. No, and I think we scored lower. Okay. Well, to come into my final score. Did they make it over the crest? Did they make it to the fabulous five? Five out of ten. I'm looking at my scores here. Okay. And it's really, you know, it's really... They're creeping up to the top of snow, don't you? Maybe. But no, it's a 4.5 for me. I'm sorry. No, they don't be sorry. I think that's right. I think it's the right score. Listen... There's no point to recommending this film to anybody. And no. nobody who doesn't see this film is missing anything. But, you know, if you like but it's not, it's not bad. Look, th- this would be on late night on a dead channel, wouldn't it, sometime? Yeah. And uh, if you're stoned, fine. it's going to be really funny fine. to watch. Exactly. With mates, shits and giggles, you know. If you really okay. like corn, especially rotten corn, because it's not good to eat, is it? They work out it's all rotten. It's an enormous field of rotten corn. That's this film. So, Rich, what's your final score? 4.5. Is it a 4.5 also? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Hmm. It's not okay, terrible, so. but it's not It's not at the threshold of anyone needing to see it. I have to say, it was okay the first time, but I didn't get it at all. Second time, 
I had to dig myself out the doldrums afterwards. Richard, shall we just cut a chase away from this onto next week's fodder? What delectable items do we have on the menu for offer? Oh, are you asking me to ask? Well, I I can tell you one or two things that I have got. I'm going to suggest Code 46. Oh, now wait a minute. This is by uh, Winterbottom, isn't it? Yes. Why is Winterbottom important to us? Because he is an alumni of the school that we went to. That is weird, isn't it? Isn't that weird? Alumnus, even. That is weird. Okay. And I never knew that. I just saw it on Facebook from a mutual friend a couple of days back. But the problem with it, though, let me tell you a problem with that. We can't find it. Yes, I know. Next suggestion is called Renaissance, which is an animated film set in a future, a near future. Whoa. Okay, I've got one for you. It's from Taiwan. I don't know if it's Taiwanese language. Incantation. I think it's 2021. A spooky story based on real events. Based on real events? Yeah. Okay. Inspired by a true story. Inspired by a true story. Okay, so... Finally. I've got one more. All right. Yep. Don't Look Up, starring the very well-known Leonardo DiCaprio and Jennifer Lawrence. So I've suggested two, one of which we can't see, and you suggested yeah. two. Uh, one of which we you don't want to don't see, look up Because everyone's, everyone has recently talked about it anyway, and it's now old oh. news, Paul. I, I know we're not normally topical with our movie choices. Okay, two remaining. Uh, Incantation and Renaissance. I'm going to say that Incantation, which is the Indonesian film, sounds fantastic, and it's free on Netflix. Is it? Wow, okay. Well, you've made my day. Okay, it's really rare. Incantation is next week's film. It's really rare I get a first pass with my (laughs) suggestions. Right, okay, Incantation. Okay, do check it out. Until the next time, thank you for listening. Ciao for now. See you on the next one. Bye. Thank you.